Hey guys, what's up? This is Jacques. Welcome back to Unpopular. We have a fun show today because Zach Peter is back, one of your faves. We truly got into a lot of stuff. Of course, we did our usual like Beverly Hills defending Erica thing because I guess that's just our shtick now. And, you know, we we say it with our whole chest because we truly believe it. But we talked about some other stuff. We talked about all the BLM stuff going on uh, because Okay, Zach has a background in nonprofits and BLM has sort of been busted, maybe being a little bit dodgy. And I have talked about that on my Patreon. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, you know that I've already sort of covered that a little bit here and there. But I got into it with Zach and we talked even more about my obsession with all of these neurodivergent autistic women because Zach has uh, a history in that. So we get right into that. And then, of course, Beverly Hills and some other chit chat. Before I get into that, guys, um, I have been been cancelled again, uh, this time by K-pop fans. It's definitely not my first K-pop cancellation. I did have one instance a few years ago, uh, which is ever since then I got a bit worried about saying where I work, where um, they mass emailed. I was working at a radio station at the time and then also another media outlet, and they like mass emailed these outlets, tweets of mine um, about a K-pop girl group and tried to say that they were racist tweets, which they weren't at all, but it was like they emailed all the bosses, mass emailed the bosses the tweets, and then they called me in because, like, they didn't – okay, these bosses don't understand what K-pop is. Like, they don't even know what the fuck it is, so they just see, like, Korean. They're like, wait, why are you talking about Korean people thinking it's, like, something like that? I'm like, oh, my God, I'm talking about this fucking girl group that – I won't even say who they are. Actually, I will say who they are. Blackpink, whose music is shit, and uh, I was talking – just generic crap, and I was talking about them. Um, So, yeah, they tried to get me fired. Obviously, it didn't work, and I kind of – stayed like steered clear of the k-pop fans since then and then i got uh annihilated over the last few days it was pretty funny so like my tweet about this has seven million impressions currently (laughs) so let me just tell you guys what happened so if you've been listening to me for a while, you know my like history with K-pop. I'm an OG K-pop fan going over 10 years. I used to cover it professionally. I were, I did like a radio show thing on K-pop. I've done a lot in the K-pop game. And there's this new girl group that came out called La Seraphim, and I'm obsessed with them. They just had their debut. They just put out their first album and their single, Love Them. And one of the members has got into a bullying scandal where they think that when she was in high school, this is when she was 12 years old, When she was 12 years old, she got written up at school for uh, an incident with another student, and she's currently 16 years old. She was 12 when it happened. It's blown up into a big thing because bullying is like a really sensitive topic in South Korea. So people are going, oh, is there a bully in this girl group? And they're like trying to cancel her. But there's sort of two sides to the story because- There are all these anonymous, unconfirmed reports about her being a crazy bully. Again, can I stress she was 12 fucking years old. There's all these reports coming out about her being a bully, but then her side of it is – the way that her side explains it, it's really not that bad, and it just sounds like 12-year-olds, like, getting into a fight at school and being written up. So, we don't really, like, fully know the truth. It's, you know, it's it's an ongoing situation, and it's become this huge – like scandal in K-pop and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. And then people are coming out with stories about, oh my God, she bullied me too. But it's like, it could just be weird K-pop fans that are making it up on forums because they have no proof. So we don't really know what's going on. And 
I'm also like, even if she was a bully again, she was like 12 years old. Like, isn't everyone a bully at 12 <laughs> in some regards? I feel like I bullied people and I feel like I got bullied too. I feel like it went both ways. Not saying that I condone bullying, but I'm just saying, I mean, what is bullying as well? Like, because some people would just say, if you say like one, like slightly mean thing to someone when you're like 10, that's bullying. Other people think bullying is like, no, the the bullies cornered me in the toilets and flushed my head down the toilet and, you know, bashed me up. That's bullying. So, like, what is the definition of bullying here? Uh, so, this has become this huge scandal and there's been so much backlash coming over it that the record label came out and they've removed her from the group temporarily. They haven't fired her, but they've like taken her out of the group while they continue to investigate it and while things die down. And they say that she's also having like mental problems now, like just from the backlash that she's been getting because it's been so intense. Because the record label that she's on, do you guys know the K-pop group BTS? It's the same people that do BTS. So it's a really, really big deal. And of course, I've been defending her because I'm like, you bitches don't even know what the fuck happened yet. Also, she was 12. Um, and I tweeted, because when they announced that she'd been pulled from the group, and I'm a fan of the group, I tweeted, K-pop fans are such socially underdeveloped pod people, trying to drive this girl to an early grave like Sully because she got into a fight at school when she was 12. Go and touch grass, please. Real life isn't a K-drama plot. Now, the Sully that I referred to, she was a K-pop idol that I was a really big fan of. She committed suicide. There was there's a lot of suicide in South Korea. And at one point, a lot of like really well-known like K-pop idols killed themselves within like quite a short period of each other. There was this guy Jonghyun from a boy band called Shiny. There was uh, Hara from the group Kara, one of my favorite girl groups. And then there was Sully. They were actually like kind of all my faves. So it was really, really sad and devastating. And they're all really young and talented and beautiful. And some of them had been kind of like gotten because they're really high standards in K-pop. So it was a lot of like public pressure on them that they couldn't handle and they committed suicide. So I got into this huge thing where the K-pop fans just went insane because they were like, how dare you bring up Sully's name? Like, you know, Sully died. Sully was a victim of, uh, you know, bullying from the public. Whereas, you know, Garam, this is the girl that the girl that was 12 when she was supposedly a bully, you know, Garam is a bully. It's not the same thing. And, um, I stand by the tweet because I'm like, no, you guys are fucking psycho because there's been so many bullying scandals, by the way, in K-pop where they've accused people of being bullies, right? And they've had their careers ruined and stuff. And then like two years later, it turns out that it like didn't even happen and it was a social media witch hunt and stuff. So it's like, I've been here, done this. Like I've been a fan of K-pop like over 10 years. Like I've seen fake scandals come and go. So I'm like, let's just wait to see what happens. And I would never hold something against somebody from when they were 12 anyway, even if it was true. I mean, unless it was like really like severe stuff, but if it's just like you were in a fight at school when you were 12, I'm like, ah, bitch, I don't care. Like, just give me the music, like keep the girl in the group. Uh, and yeah, it was just like, I'm getting like death threats. Uh, and I think that usually I, um, usually I would delete a tweet when I start getting this backlash. Cause I told you guys that I have actually pulled back from Twitter a lot. I was, it was too much. I was just like, it's not serving me well. I just get canceled and <laughs> bullied here all the time. Cause people never really understand the point that I'm making. And it's just like, a, it's just negative and gross. And I really have pulled back. And it was just the other night 
I was just on one. I don't know. I was just like, stop ruining this girl group that I like. And now you've removed one of the best members from it. And you guys are fucking psychos. So I had to, you know, I said what I had to say. And um, like I said, it's had 7 million impressions. It's had over 9,000 quote retweets of telling me to shut up and kill myself. Uh, let me read you some of the, the troll messages that I've been getting you guys from K-pop fans. Um, something's not right in your retarded little brain. Go hook up with a grinder date and watch as he leaves you in the house and sets you on fire to die. No logic in there. Just come. I mean, I wish. Uh, absolute faggot of a man. They're not hanging you lot quick enough. I mean, just the, the K-pop fans are really on one. It's really funny. And, um, I just muted the tweet because usually I would have deleted it because I'd be like, this is not worth the drama. And this time I was like, nah, fuck it. Like, I'm just leaving it up and muting it so I don't have to see you losers. But, like, then they find your Instagram and stuff and they direct message you on there telling you to kill yourself. And sometimes, like, I want to respond and then I stop myself. I'm like, I mean, I did respond to, like, a couple of them, but I'm like, don't start fighting with them because they're they're probably, like, literally, like, 12. Like, they're, like, children. Like, (laughs) I'm like, Jacques, don't don't fight with children on the internet. You're a grown man. Like, don't do it. The only tweets that I was getting that kind of annoyed me that would slip through was just when um people kind of acted like, you know, who is he? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, you know, he just got into K-pop. But it's like, bitch, I've been in K-pop before all of you. Like, I fucking helped put K-pop on the map. Like, back in the day, you guys, I had a blog that I've told you about. I had a blog. It was really popular. It was a music blog. And it was doing really well. And then I got into K-pop. This is literally like 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And then I got into K-pop and I really loved it. And no one was, like, covering K-pop then or no one cared. Like, this is, like, way before, like, BTS and all of, you know, way before Gangnam Style, all of that. And I just got into it and I just started covering K-pop and I lost a bunch of readers because people were like, um, we don't read you to like follow K-pop, um, you know, you're a flop. And then so many racist messages. I mean, you guys, like the amount of racist messages people would leave anti-Asian stuff because I was doing K-pop was crazy. And then what happened was because I like changed my blog, then it like built up like a new big following of like, k-pop fans and then it basically became just as big as it was before but doing k-pop it just took like a year or so of like for that transition of the old fans to go and like new people to come in and i was killing it and then i was doing like i wrote for some like mainstream places and it kind of actually led to my journalism career but like when i tell you no one was fucking talking about K-pop when I was. The only people that, like, I'm okay, I'm not the first person that ever talked about K-pop, but, like, I was one of the first people that didn't just do something dedicated. Like, okay, there were K-pop blogs around where they just talked about K-pop, but it was, like, no one had, like, a following like I did of, like, normal, like, Western music and stuff and then started introducing K-pop and, like, spreading it around. Like, bitch, I put this shit on the map before all of you. I was talking about it before anyone like putting it on like critics list and then after that music bloggers all start they started like music critics and music journalists started using k-pop for clicks because the online fandom is so extreme that if you just write about k-pop especially back then when not as many people were doing it like you could get so much traffic from it because the k-pop fans were like very online and would just like share things around so then people started being like fake and bandwagoning on it whatever i'm just like I did it first, okay? I've been doing this. Like, I know what I'm fucking talking about. I've seen these scandals, like, come and go. I'm, like, the OG of this. And 
that was just kind of annoying because, <laughs> you know, we can't live on past glories. We're moving forward. And this other fucking fat loser was like, um, you know, you wish that, you know, you wish you had like a K-pop career and blah, blah, blah. Like they were comparing me to this other journalist that covers K-pop. And I'm like, I willingly left k-pop journalists because you like you're just chill like you're such losers the thing that's hard about being a k-pop fan guys let me explain is that i have really good taste okay and i'm really smart i'm really funny k-pop fans are losers who have no understanding of art culture no taste in music nothing like they they don't even like the music or like appreciate like the performance aspect or what goes into it they Variety shows are really big in in K-pop, right? So you have they're the, like reality shows and like the funny like sketch shows and and stuff, and they're all fake, by the way. They have like Korean reality shows and they're all scripted. Fans are just like teenagers and they just like the person because of their personality on this scripted show. Like they don't even un- like like the music or whatever. So it's like I could like review a, a K-pop song and like make references to like oh they've taken this influence from here and then see the music video. They've because the music videos are really creative too and it's like the thing about K-pop is it it does it steals culture from everywhere else, but it just takes things from like Europe and America and like Japan and it kind of like mixes it together and puts it in. And I can go, "Oh, they're referencing this here and stuff." And like the K-pop fans it all just goes over their head and they don't care and they just they're just fucking so lame and then the western journalists that cover k-pop they're the worst cuz they're all like woke music critics where again they don't have any appreciation for art or musical culture they're just like um you know the problem with colorism in k-pop like they'll make everything into a social justice story instead of like appreciating the music and then you have like hipster music people that they don't give k-pop any credit cuz they're like eh, it's manufactured like, as if like everything isn't manufactured like k-pop just does it better but like fucking all entertainment that you're watching is fake and manufactured and fucking generic but you just single out k-pop so it's like it's hard to be a k-pop fan when you're like i actually like the music and kind of like appreciate the art form of it and like think that it's like really well made like pop music and entertainment like i'm a fan my pop music that I really like, I really love like Prince and I was a, you know, Britney and Justin fan. And I love like, you know, Whitney because Korea does a lot of ballads and stuff too. And I like that showmanship and like Bowie of like the 80s and the 70s. And that's kind of like one of the things that appeals to me. And like Janet Jackson is one of my favorites. So I love choreography and a real performance. And it's like, I'm appreciating that. And you guys just don't get it. And you're just fucking losers and... So I'm just like, whatever. I left K-pop very happily. I would never want to write about K-pop again or cover it in um in any way. And I do stand by my tweet. And I know that I'll be vindicated in the end. Like, in t- I pulled up this old article I did in 2012 of this girl group, Tiara, that got cancelled. And I wrote it for this thing called All K-pop. And it was about how there was – because they got accused of bullying and there was a huge lynch mob. Like, people were, like – throwing their CDs in the trash and they were like driven, they were suicidal because the backlash was that bad. And then a few years later, it turned out it was all fake. And the girl that they apparently bullied was actually like the problematic one in the group. And she had like, her sister had threatened to cut someone in the group's face. There was all this stuff to it. So it's like, you know, I'm always on the right side of history. That's the thing. And I, you know, I still get messages now, people going, oh, he fakes his unpopular opinions. It's like, honey, I've been doing, like, I didn't just come in and go, I like Erica Jane. And like, that's my first thing. Like, I've been doing this for a long time and I usually get vindicated and it just is what it is. Um, Whether it's Housewives, whether it's K-pop, like, 
I am right and my life is on an upwards trajectory. You know, things are actually going really well for me right now. Um, I, I don't know, just things are going so great. Like, I'm great. Um, I'm always right. Uh, this interview that you're going to hear, I'm going to be right about all this. Like, I mean, not that it takes a rocket science to figure out that people are faking having autism and stuff like anyone with a fucking tube. I mean, not K-pop fans wouldn't be able to figure it out, but like, you know, normal people can figure it out. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just right about everything. So thanks for listening. I'm going to get into the interview with Zach now. Make sure you're following me on social media at UnpopularJP on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want extra content, you want to support me, sign up to Patreon, patreon.com slash UnpopularJP. I did an episode there last week. What did I talk about on that? I share personal things on there and then I do extra Wait, what did I talk about on that episode? I know I talked about Teresa and Louie, but I definitely talked about a lot of stuff that, like, wasn't Housewives. Anyway, whatever. There's extra content on there if you want to support me or don't. Just listen to the main show. It's fine. Please leave me a five-star review. You guys are really good with that, and you're always leaving me good reviews. Um, And, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I hope you enjoy, Zach, and you have a great week. Bye, guys. Hey guys, uh, I have one of your faves back today. I think he's like the favorite guest. Uh, he is the host of the No Filter podcast. Please welcome back my housewife's bestie, Zach Peter. Hi, Jacques. Um, how are you? Sorry I'm about great. all the tech difficulties before lo- we recorded. You're a champ. I love that I'm one of the faves. You are. People love us together. I literally get DMs going, oh, my God, like, you should, like, get, like, can Zach be your 90-day fiancé? Like, you've got to get (laughs) married. Like, people love us. (laughs) I love that. You just wrapped up your tour with Up and Adam. How was that? It was so much fun, but it's the most exhausting thing I've ever fucking done. Um, And I actually just came from a date right now, and I was, like, trying to articulate, like, what I do for a living and been like, yeah, and I was just on tour, and, like, it was so exhausting. He's like, oh, what, you literally, you traveled from city to city with all these people that wanted to see you, and that was exhausting. I'm like, you know what? Suck my fucking dick. Like, you have no, like, if you had a business and you knew what it takes to run a fucking business, to quote Kim Kardashian, if you had a business, then maybe you would know what it takes to run a business, but you don't. Well, you know what? It's so good that you have toured now because, like, everyone has a podcast. So, when you're like, oh, yeah, I have a podcast, it's like, oh, okay. But now you can be like, oh, I have a podcast. You know, we just, like, wrapped up a live tour. So, it just makes you sound so legit. And I have a product, Jock. Let's not forget. I have a legit product and I wrapped a tour. Like, yes. I'm doing <laughs> real things. I told him, too, like, in, in in the day, I was like, I'm a podcaster. But I was like, but I'm not, like, a fake podcaster where, like, I drive for Uber. And he's like, I don't get it. I was like, well, because in L.A., everybody's like, I'm important. I'm an actor. I'm a podcaster. But, like, they secretly are bartenders or Uber drivers. And I'm like, I don't bartend or Uber, except when I'm bartending for myself and just, like, getting drunk in my apartment by myself. Other than that, no, to wine.com. No, um, how did the how did the date go? Was it good? Um, it was cute. I've gone on a lot of dates recently just for like the fun of it. I'm not actually interested mm. in dating, um, but I've gone on some fun dates. This one was okay. He was like a Russian guy, and he's like, I need to be very clear that like even though I'm Russian, that doesn't mean like I like Trump. He's like, so I have to like <laughs> preface with that, and I'm like, thank you for letting me know that i didn't i wasn't really even thinking that i wasn't even sure. thinking that but thank you for disclosing that up front i appreciate the transparency 
I know. I'm trying to date again now, which I don't enjoy. Like, I literally don't enjoy it. Oh, do, you, but... do you now feel safe enough to date now that COVID is officially in the past? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I can leave my house now, guys. Uh, no, I'm not. on like... But you have to be careful. Make sure you wear a mask so that you don't get monkeypox. Well, you know what? I'm a little scared of the monkeypox because it's so ugly. COVID, didn't really care about, never caught it, even though I wasn't masking and stuff. Monkeypox, I'm like, that shit is hideous. Like, I don't want that. Give me, I will get every booster and vaccine <laughs> in the world to not have those fucking ugly ass monkeypox warts on me. So, um, you know, you shared a hotel room with Up and Adam during your tour. Did he strut around the room like half naked was he was he wandering around in a jock strap after a show like give me the details because i do have a uh, sketch artist from the um the the cop shop over here so um, paint me a picture oh my god this was not what i was expecting um so we roomed together in nashville and in New York. We did not in LA because I live in LA and he got an Airbnb when he came to LA. Um, we have, we definitely saw a lot of each other. You know, I think we, you know, definitely like when I'm running around the hotel room in my skims, getting ready for the show, like we definitely, um, saw a little too much of each other but then it, it was funny because like we're now in the process of talking about do, doing more tour dates and i think somebody asked us like we did a live together afterwards wrapping up the tour and somebody's like you know would you guys stay together again and i'm like at this point it would be so weird if we didn't stay together you know and like braid each other's pussy hair at this point <laughs> so you weren't like killing each other at the end like you didn't wrap up the tour and be like you know like i love up and adam but this was just like a little too much touring together or it's still the relationship still thriving i mean if anything i think it's better than thriving at this point like i was literally scared i was like this is gonna either go really well or it's gonna go really poorly like it's gonna go very badly and like we're gonna hate each other and not want to ever speak again um but no i we literally still talk every single day and like we're planning the next tour dates and we have other things already in the works so it's it's exciting oh that's amazing was there any um backstage drama Oh my god! All the backstage drama. Um, what? What? Which <laughs> drama do you? I told Jock. I was like, listen, I'm not going to voluntarily spill anything on today's episode. But if you ask me a question, I'm never going to not answer it. Well, I mean, was with the talent dramatic, or was it like their people, or like any rude fans? Um, I don't know. All of the above, I guess. Okay, so. And talent-wise, I think all of the talent was really great. Um, some of their, like, team member, like, what is it? Their posse, their entourage, like, some yeah. of their team members were not so great in L.A. Like, I got my asshole ripped apart by somebody's, like, team that they were, like, upset with something that was so stupid and fictitious. But, like, I got screamed at before going on stage, and then they screamed at me again after getting on stage. So all of the talent, like all like the Bravo talent, and even for the most part, like the other podcasters and stuff that we invited on the show to were all great to work with. Some of their team members were not as great to work with. Um, and for the most part, like all of the talent was good. We only had one person pull out at the last minute because they tested positive for Munchausen. Sorry, COVID or sorry, <laughs> Munchausen. Um, and literally tested negative oh, i shouldn't even say this but tested negative <laughs> was still like literally tested negative several times but was like i'm just you know nervous and i'm like 
listen, if you're not comfortable, then just don't do the show and it's okay. I'm not going to be mad. But like, like, don't like play this game of like, like, just like, listen, be safe. Do you, you know, wear a mask in your bedroom by yourself? Like whatever's going to make you feel safe. Good for you. But like, like, I just need to know, are you going to be on stage or are you not going to be on stage? Like, that's really the only thing. Because right now there's not a legitimate health scare, but you're creating a, a false reality where there is and there really isn't. Uh, so like, let's do something about that. Like, make a decision. You know that... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm dead. So I just want to say that that is kind of how it is. Like, the... The Bravo, the actual Bravo talent and the reality talent, they're always cool. And it's always like other podcasters or like their team or their managers or whatever that it's like the pain in the ass. Yeah. The actual talent, like they're always like pretty nice and they're usually excited to like talk to you and work with you and they love it. I was so surprised at how, I mean, I guess I've known a lot of them for a while now that I wasn't surprised at how nice they were. I was surprised at how like engaged they were with people that showed up like with the fans and with ticket buyers like they took every selfie and like had conversations with people and were like so you know like just generous with their time and their like you know attention that i i was blown away by that you know i mean the only thing i will say the toms because we had tom sandoval and tom schwartz that came to our show in la they got a little litty city by the time they made it on stage so it was you know but i feel like everybody in the room at that point was a little litty city because the show started a little a little late and then the show before like they were supposed to come on stage ran over a little late so it was understandable that they were a little lit, but it was, you know, it, yeah, we one were of, all having one a of good your time. listeners was there, someone that listens to both of our show, and they were sending me the like they were sending me videos going, Oh my god, like Tom's wasted, and I was like <laughs> dying. And they're like, I wish you were there. Um, <laughs> um, I have so much to ask you this week. You're actually you're a Bravo expert. You're you're an expert in many topics that I think people don't realize. And it just has happened that there are all these things, these random things that I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment. And you actually, you have the insight and the answers to all of it. So my current obsession right now, <clears throat> actually, it's been my obsession for a while, is teenagers and white women pretending to have like neurological and developmental disorders on social media, okay? Um, I just found this trend. I think I found it like uh, maybe a year ago now. Um, it started with this whole thing of DID on TikTok. Do you know, <laughs> do you know what DID what is? is? I have no idea. What is DID? Okay, so DID is dissociative identity disorder. In layman's terms, it's like multiple personality disorder. And there are all these Gen Z teens on TikTok and they pretend that they have like 20 different people living inside of them and then they act it out on TikTok like they're, you know, Amber Heard on the witness stand. I mean, they get up there and they go, hang on, wait, someone else is coming through. And then they like have a different personality and they'll like change their makeup. And it's clearly all fake. Even like psychologists and doctors don't even, they're not even sure if this disorder exists. I should add as well that all of these teens, they are all like non-binary, trans, um, pronouns everywhere, blue hair, anxiety. If any of them have political views, they're all like communists. Like they're all the exact <laughs> same type Demi of Demi Lovato. Yes, they're literally, it's like a little army of Demi Lovatos. And I have kind of been obsessed with it. I watch them on, I follow them on TikTok and I watch the videos and I like love it. And I just thought it was like a teenage thing. And now it's kind of spread where like 
there's like woke white women. They're always they're always white women in their twenties and thirties, and they're all suddenly coming down with like ADHD, autism. Like we have a lot in Australia actually at the moment. There's Abby Chatfield. She's like a huge celebrity here. This other radio personality, uh, M. Rosciano. Like there's so many. The main one that I'm obsessed with is have you seen um, Demi Burnett from The Bachelor, who is autistic now? I not much, but I know I've seen rumblings here and there online. Yeah, well, she was like she was the villain on Colton season, another questionable character. <laughs> and oh, see, she, but I would bang Colton. Like I know he's like toxic. You know, all the buzzwords. He's all the buzzwords, but I would love to ch- have him choke me in bed. He's so hot. I, <laughs> people know that I'm obsessed with him, and I'm kind of low-key jealous of his, like, weird relationship. But I don't like his sh- boyfriend. His boyfriend's not the vibe. I, I don't know. I just find it cringe how it's like, you know, my daddy, like Colton and his daddy. <laughs> um, well, like, Demi, so this Demi from Bachelor, I think most, I've talked about it before, but basically she was the villain. She went on Bachelor in Paradise. She came out as bisexual on Paradise, and then they brought in this woman that she'd been seeing from the outside world into the show, which, by the way, totally breaks the rules of the show because anyone else that has, like, a partner on the outside or something, they always get, like, a villain edit of, like, they came on the show for the wrong reasons. But because she was the first, like, you know, same-sex romance in Paradise, they gave it this amazing kind of, like, progressive edit. And then the woman came in, they got engaged at the end, and then, of course, they broke up after the show. But it got all of this fame. And then... She came back on Paradise like two years later because sort of things were dying out for her again. And then she came off really bad on that season. Then everyone hated her. And then after that, she suddenly came out as autistic and rebranded and she blamed all of her bad behavior on that she was autistic. She started a podcast where she talks about it. Um, Every social media post is about how she's autistic now. Now she has to wear noise-canceling headphones um, because she gets overstimulated. Now, <laughs> now, a lot of people don't know this, but you actually worked in the nonprofit sector specifically with autism. You worked with Jenny McCarthy. You had a radio show about autism. You wrote a book about autism and your experience in your family because your brother is autistic. You uh, you did that long before all of the housewives and the no filter stuff. Like this has kind of been your whole life. So first, I want to get your take on it. And I also want to know, is it common, and I'm asking this sincerely, is it common for people to just sort of suddenly start coming out as autistic, you know, in their like 20s and 30s? Or is it usually diagnosed earlier? I mean, listening to you explain a lot of this stuff has brought up a lot of emotions in me and I'm trying to compose myself. Um, Because so the reason I got into the nonprofit work uh, is because my brother, Ethan, has autism. He's now 20. He just turned 20. He'll be 21 next year. Um, And I only know that because I was having a conversation with Adam and he was like, I saw that Ethan was drinking a cocktail at dinner. And he's like, I didn't realize Ethan was 21. I'm like, he's not 21. But when he goes out for cocktails with us, we get him a soda water and a lime to make him feel like he's drinking a cocktail. But he'll be 21 next year and he'll probably you know, have a cocktail or two at that point. But so it is really 
hard for me. And I even get a little emotional thinking about people like this that come out as autistic in their adult lives, because I look at situations like my brother and, you know, I look at situations where, I mean, before autism was on the radar, this affected my family. We knew other families that had individuals with autism. Um, And the work that I did with the foundation was international. We, you know, would travel to different countries and put on conferences and, you know, make sure we tried to help families that were genuinely, truly affected by autism gain access to valuable medical resources that they didn't have access to or couldn't afford. Because most of the time at that point, insurance companies didn't even really consider autism a real, you know, thing that they needed to provide for, or, you know, the, they would only provide for the bare minimum. And it was, you know, it was very challenging, because for a lot of people that struggle with autism, it can be very debilitating to the point where they don't have language, they can't articulate how they feel, you know, even when it comes to their social interactions, those are also very much, you know, they don't know how to interact with other people. And so I know autism is a spectrum and there are a lot of people that are on the more higher end spectrum of autism. Um, and they can, you know, some people that are very high, uh, high functioning can articulate how they're feeling or they can articulate their thoughts. But like, that's such a, the hard part is there's the very severe autism. And then there's, there are individuals like my brother that are a little more moderate and they're a little in the middle where they can, say certain words and they can kind of communicate, but it's still very much a challenge. And so those to me are the people that are really struggling. So when I see some white bitch on Twitter or not on Twitter, but on TikTok, be like, I'm autistic and like have sympathy for me. I'm just like, fuck you. Not to take away from your experience because clearly there may be, you know, something going on there, but you have no idea what it is like to watch my brother genuinely or to not not even just watch him, but to just be like, you have no idea what it's like to be worried about what his future is going to be like. You can go on TikTok and you can have a conversation with other people and be like, I have autism. Please feel bad for me or feel anything for me. My brother does not have the capability or the level of awareness to go on TikTok. He's on TikTok and he's doing little crazy dances and, you know, he's having fun on TikTok, but he doesn't have the level of awareness to go on TikTok and be like, hi, my name is so-and-so and I have autism. And there's no play there. You know, when he's on TikTok, it's very honest and it's very genuine to like, he just wants to fit in and he just wants to feel, you know, included in things. So it is very challenging when I see people come out and they come out as autistic. My brother will never have an opportunity to come out of as autistic because it's just who he is. And not that it defines him because obviously, you know, he's a multi faceted human being where there are so many other pieces that make up, you know, the person that he is, but there are very real challenges that make it difficult for him to live to his fullest potential. And that's always been my goal as the oldest brother. And, you know, obviously my family's goal is to help him live to his fullest potential. But we even know that that potential can still be limited in certain aspects to the point where I don't think he'll ever be able to live on his own. And that's heartbreaking, but that's our reality. So when people have the ability and the level of self-awareness to be able to come out and to be able to talk about their experience, again, not to diminish their experience or their journey, but there is a whole other side of it. And listen, helping families around the country 
seen how much worse other families have it to where some kids are grown adults and they're in diapers. They are not potty trained. They do not, they can't even vocalize how they feel. They are self-interest to the point where they're banging their head into a wall because they can't articulate whatever they're feeling inside. They don't know how to use their words and they don't know how to vocalize those things. So when I see cases like that and I see some white bitch that's looking for attention on TikTok, there's no comparison to me because it's real to me. And I've seen the other side of it and I've seen the severe side of it. You know, to me, it's like if you can go on TikTok and and tell the world that you have autism, you're pretty fucking lucky that you can even vocalize how you feel. You know, and I'm trying to say this without, I can feel the emotion building up inside no, my body. No, I know. Like, to, there's there's to- a lot, like, of people that I've seen. So it's not just Demi. There was another one someone sent me, this writer. And these are, like, public figures who I've seen, like, making TV appearances and sort of behaving, quote, unquote, normal for yeah. a really long time and doing podcasts and all kinds of, like, a lot of stuff. And then suddenly out of the blue, it's, I mean, they use a hashtag, uh, actually autistic. But I'm like, you've been getting... Yeah, that's the hashtag they're putting on. If you search the hashtag, you'll find a lot of people going, oh, actually, I have it. And it's just like, I just think this is so strange because, look, I've I've known people that have had, like, very mild autism and you can you can tell. Sometimes you don't know what it is yeah. specifically and then you'll find out later on and you'll be like, oh, okay, that now I get why they were missing all of those social cues or why they right. would say kind of awkward things or kind you know, like and not – is- I think the challenge with autism is the spectrum. It's so broad that you're lumping in, you're using one term to define two very different ends of a spectrum that to me, there are people that have, you know, social awkwardness or, you know, don't know how to read certain social cues or, you know, have, I don't want to say more minor issues but it's like you look at both sides of it and there's really no comparison that it's like at this point they shouldn't be considered under you know Mm -hmm. one umbrella like they're two completely different diagnoses um that it does become frustrating because there are so many people that i think are now starting to identify with the higher end side of the spectrum that want to lump themselves in with people that are on the more severe end of it and there's no comparison when you actually look at the two you know because it's like when you do look at how severe these cases and i think the heartbreaking part is i've seen how severe it can be and how debilitating it is for a family or just for an individual that it it does break my heart because then what is the mainstream narrative that we're getting is that oh autism is just like i'm a little quirky i'm a little awkward i can you know maybe say a couple of random things at at lunch and that's okay maybe i have like a little bit of tourette's or however they categorize that And it's like, but that isn't the reality of the mom that's stuck at home with her 27-year-old son that will never be able to leave their house and live on his own. And we don't see her story because they're not on TikTok. But those are the real stories that are, are, you know, taking over our country as the numbers continue to rise. Well, when I saw when I saw Demi, and I've just I've been using her as the main example because she's kind of the biggest one that's come out recently. But there are a lot of others. But has, she Demi, was actually, tr- has Demi actually come out as autistic? Yeah, literally. She goes, "I found out I've I'm come out as autistic. I'm actually autistic." Like she does. She did a post with headphones, going, "Oh, I found out that I need to wear noise canceling headphones now because I get overstimulated by sounds." But then, of course, like I haven't seen her wearing any headphones in any other. And she's going out to events and stuff, and 
she was, and I was a fan of hers, by the way, a big, she was actually one of my, because I love The Bachelor and she was one of my favorite people. So I've actually always followed her career closely, just being a big fan of hers. And when she came out as it, I'm like, I even doubted the bisexual thing because I just thought the way that she used the bisexual thing, she really, she was getting booked on like Good Morning America and all this stuff with it. And, and it was just strange. But when she, blamed her behavior on this is after she got backlash on bachelor in paradise when she sort of started blaming her behavior on being autistic and saying she's missing social cues and stuff i used to listen to her old podcast and i remember her bragging on that podcast about how when she was on colton season she would come up with like things to do for airtime and to be the villain and stuff so it's like well i remember you talking about how you planned all this stuff to stand out on the show and now suddenly everything that you've got backlash for and being a villain on TV is because you're autistic, like it's not adding up. And it is like it's this sort of new, like the neurodivergent trend of now everyone wants to identify as neurodivergent. You actually, you messaged me the other week and you were like, you were like, what is neurodivergent? What the fuck is neurodivergent? Is this the sequel to the Shailene Woodley movie? Like what is happening here? Like what is this term? What does it mean? Like what is neurodivergent? And it was funny that you hadn't heard that term, even though you've worked so much in these kind of sectors. Because here's the thing. In that world, it, there isn't a need to have to find another label to self-identify. The focus is not on self-identifying. The focus is on actually doing what you can to help the loved one that you have in your family just live and 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 acclimate into society and and be okay functioning on their own and may and for most of us like that's not even a reality that we can have you know so to us neurodivergent is not even a real thing i'm sure there are a hundred autism moms that are in my phone that i can call right now and they don't even know what the fuck the term neurodivergent even means because their priority is on trying to make sure their kid gets the services that they need they're trying to make sure that you know they can't work so they do need support at home and they do need you know regional centers to help them and you know they need to make sure their kids get into the therapy that they need and like their headspace is is just it's not in this you know woke twitter bullshit i've been talking about it like on my podcast for a while and i'll just mention it every few episodes because i'll say oh a new person's come out now they've got adhd they're neurodivergent and i got some people messaging me going oh well you know i actually have adhd or i have this and i was like yeah that's like I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having these things and people should be open about it, but there's a difference between just being a normal person that's living with this and someone that is putting it out on a public platform in a way to use for clout and like brand branding and to like be special. Like it's very unfortunate part is the people that I'm sure are messaging you are people that genuinely are struggling with certain things that it is affecting their everyday life. And the frustrating part is it's, there are other people that are going on public platforms and declaring these things and putting it under this guise of like, I'm doing this to spread awareness or I'm doing this to, you know, let people know what it's like to live with situations like this. And the people that are DMing you, I'm pretty sure don't have the comfort to be able to go on a public platform and discuss their actual struggles. And that's not to say that, you know, people that have been open about it don't struggle. But the unfortunate part is there are so many people that are really just looking for attention and need to feel important that they're capitalizing off of things that people genuinely struggle with every day. 
Yeah, well, it's like when it's the same kind of person, when it's a celebrity and they all seem kind of have like the same political views that it's like, we all saw the Jamil, Jamila Jamil thing where she, she was the actress from The Good Place and they found out she had like, they think she has Munchausen's because she was just making up all of these different things that she had and that yeah. came out and stuff that you should girl look that up after this you will that was like a whole saga <laughs> and i i feel like watching it and seeing more of the cases pop up that i think they people took the gender thing as far as they could go with the gender thing to the point where because i think okay i think what happened with the gender stuff was that very first when the gender thing came out there was a lot of pushback to all these different genders and stuff and then there was a change where people went you know what i do want to be open-minded to this and i do want to be more progressive i don't want to be stuck in the past so i will be accepting of the non-binaries and stuff and then it got they pushed it so far when it got so ridiculous and now i think there's a pushback on it so i kind of feel <laughs> like the gender stuff went as far as it could go and now it's the neurodivergency which is sort of the next wave of everyone coming out with sort of you know imaginary ailments or even if they are real it's like you have like the the mildest case possible and now you've milked it into a whole identity yeah that's that's the key term there's exploiting these things and it's just like it's really a disorder of like needing attention which is so interesting to me because it's coming from a lot more younger generations where they're getting the most attention they've ever fucking got like look at even like you know you and i are i mean we're not old but like we're a little old we're not in that gen z category yeah, where millennial. Like, to us there was no coming out as gay was like a, a challenge like all we wanted to do was just like fit in you know there was no coming out as gay whereas it's like now everybody wants to come out as something else and they want to identify with five different labels and like listen i think people forget that like human beings are multifaceted and like we have flaws and we have issues and it doesn't necessarily mean we need to identify with five different labels like i and to define I, our whole personality to by define it. our whole personality exactly i was talking to someone a mom and her her daughter was going through a lot of things and anxiety and stuff and i said you know it's really bad like i went through a lot of anxiety and depression as a teenager and she was sort of struggling with it and i said you know it's it's hard these days because i think that back in the day even though we struggled with a lot of these things, we had a little bit more of an attitude of like, you know, I've kind of got to pull my socks up and and get on with things. Right. Whereas now there's more of a like their world has crashed down and they wallow in it. And, uh, you know, they, they want to be that victim. So they're not kind of like pushing through, which is hard. And, you know, when you overcoming anxiety and depression and stuff like that like yeah some definitely a lot of the times it is it can be a chemical imbalance and you need medication for it but other times it's like you've got to like i mean i know it sounds really cliche but it's like you've got to make your bed you've got to exercise like you've got to have a routine and like you've got to do that stuff for yourself and i think people they don't even want to because it's hard work to overcome that stuff like you've got to make serious life changes and i think that especially a lot of the young people they don't get taught that message they just get taught to kind of like wallow in it and add new disorders on top and the unfortunate part is it's it's not just the you know, put on your boots and push through it. But it's like, it. there's also the lack of empowerment piece that we're not giving them of like, you are capable of over, like, yes, things are tough. And yes, life is fucking hard. However, 
that doesn't mean that you're incapable of overcoming certain challenges. And that doesn't mean that you're incapable of, you know, someday, listen, some days you're not going to want to get out of bed. And some days it is going to be tough and the world is going to beat you up and people are going to be insensitive and they're going to hurt your feelings. And some fuck boy is going to hurt your heart and like all of these things. And that's just a part of life. And you need to learn how to build that resilience. That doesn't mean you you know, negate your feelings or ignore, you know, the struggles that you're facing. But there is an there is a strength in you that can overcome those and push through them and build the person that you're becoming. You know, it's not yeah. just about letting it, the bricks break you down, but there's also like, you know, a staircase that you are capable of building up to. It's like going to the gym. When you go to the gym and you lift a five pound weight and then you build that muscle and then you move it up to a 10 pound weight and then a 15 pound weight. and it hurts and you're going to have your muscles torn up and you're going to be sore on some days, but that doesn't mean that your muscles don't get stronger. And that doesn't mean that you can't keep building upon that. Yeah. And I think that the young, younger, uh, now we sound so fucking old. I'll say the Gen Z's. I think the Gen Z's have the right idea in terms of like, let's be more open about mental health and talk yeah. about it and destigmatize it. That part of it's great, but it's like, let's do that, but then do something about it. Okay. Cause it's kind of like they do the talking about it and putting it out there and that bit's good, that but then they stop there yeah. and they don't do the work to like I, and I think turn it around. And that's where we're missing the bridge, right? Because they're so much better at talking about it than I think our generation is about yeah. openly discussing these things. Um, and our generation is more of just like, you know, just like get through it. And their yeah. generation is more like, let's just talk about it. And I think there needs to be some sort of coming together where we yeah. merge those two ideas. And there's and like our parents' a- generation were too much just like put on, just ignore it completely. Yeah, which ignore was, it like, completely. We- <laughs> yeah. Um, which was too far in that direction. Um, yeah. Okay. The other thing. Okay. And I still want to talk to you about Beverly Hills too, because we have some Sutton takes, but oh, I, I want to get your take as someone that works in nonprofits about all this BLM stuff going down. Cause this, I love this story just cause it's so, <laughs> it's just so like, it's, it's actually really sad, but it's also, I don't know. I just think of how horrible certain people were online and stuff over the last two years. So it's okay. So look, guys, if you're not across this, all the stuff going down with BLM, in a nutshell, what is happening is there are some really big question marks about where all that like $90 million or however much came in for them, where that money has gone. So first, it's, it started coming out a few months ago where they found out that BLM had like purchased all of these like multi-million dollar houses around the place and was one in like the Hollywood Hills and stuff like that. And then the founder just got busted basically paying like huge amounts of money to her family and friends. So like, for example, she paid her brother $840,000 for quote security purposes. I mean, even for a top security guard, that's a lot of money. And he's actually a graffiti artist. He doesn't even have experience in in, in security. And then she gave $970,000 to her baby's father for creative services, whatever that is. And look, this just goes on and on. I'm scratching the surface here, but you get the picture. So all this money came in and now we're like, hang on, where did it go? Because now we're seeing that you paid this person this much money and you bought all these houses. I'm like, what is going on? And I think that at best, to give them the benefit of the doubt, you can say, you know, this woman that headed at Patrice Colors, she was an activist who got in over her head and she was financially irresponsible through ignorance because, you know, maybe she didn't realize how big this was going to come and how much money was going to come in. At worst, you can say, you know, she's a grifter who used the movement to enrich herself and her family. Now, 
you know, we're going to have to wait for more to unfold to see what's really going on, but it's still very juicy. She has admitted to making uh, mistakes. She said she made mistakes with the $90 million of, quote, white guilt money, which, I mean, she's been pretty honest. It was $90 million. Well, that's how much came in, but I don't know how much specifically she has, you know, splashed out on homes and stuff, maybe 5 or $10 million. Still a lot of fucking money for people that think that you know this is going towards certain things so you obviously worked in nonprofits for years um is stuff like this you know common obviously blm is on a very large scale because that was kind of the biggest social movement of like our generation but just in like nonprofits in general um do you see like would you see things where you're like where is this money going and stuff like that Listen, I think the challenging part is, and I know this working because like my background is not just in nonprofit fundraising, but it's in celebrity nonprofit fundraising. And so I know that there were many times where there were reporters that would report things that were taken grossly out of context to make a story a lot more sensationalized than what it actually was, you know, because, you know, putting these pieces together and selling that picture to the public was a much juicier story because there was a big name attached to it more than like, if you actually, you know, had we actually been given an opportunity to explain certain things, um, I think it wouldn't come off as scandalous as I think the press would try to make it out to be sometimes. Yeah. Um, I just want to chime in with that. Like, so for example, that is definitely like Fox news is doing that with the BLM thing. So I'm kind of wait, you know, they're taking the hardest angle on it of like, basically these people were grifters and they ran off with your money. Whereas, it could be a little bit more in the middle of like this woman just sort of didn't really know what she was doing. And I haven't done a deep dive into it, but from what I have looked into it, I think that there's probably a lot more of a gray area and a middle ground in that case. Because the other thing too, is it's like in the nonprofit world, you know, it's very easy to, you know, rationalize certain things and be like, oh, well, this is a good write-up to buy a $9 million home because I'm doing a good thing for people that need, you know, and you're, the the hard part is then there's like the, the in the back of your mind, we're like, well, this is technically a nonprofit and I'm technically doing a good thing. And so to this, you know, to the woman running the organization, I'm pretty sure there were some of those moments, but the thing is, and being in a position of power running a nonprofit myself, I know how easy it is to fall down that rabbit hole. And there were many times where I I had to check myself and be like, no, I think we need to be a little smarter about how we spend some of these funds. And we need to be a little more transparent about how we do certain things, you know, to not make some of these mistakes. But I do know how easy it is to fall into those mistakes. And with somebody that doesn't have experience, I'm pretty sure it's very easy to get caught up in those things. However, I also don't think people realize the other side of the coin of like, there are many people that come into the nonprofit world and take a lot of advantage because they can hide under the guise of being like, I'm doing a good thing. And so they can cheat the books and they can write off expenses that maybe they shouldn't be writing off. And sometimes it's part of like that, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, but I'm technically doing a good thing, but you're doing a bad thing. You know what? I just want to interrupt because when you say about how it can be easy to rationalize it, I could totally see her doing it because you've you've got to remember that the way that from how BLM started to where it ended up, 
she, for the last kind of couple of years, she's not like a street activist, okay? She's going to like the Academy Awards and she's surrounded by all these celebrities, like the biggest celebrities you can imagine that want to help. And she she's probably being flown out to like talk to, you know, on a private jet to, you know, give a talk at Google or whatever for X amount of money, things like that. So, it was probably very easy for her to get isolated in that celebrity world of like that top tier of kind of nonprofits where it's really, it's just like sort of celebrity game. And when you're and caught stuff. in that world, that world is not reality. That is yeah. a bubble of like a whole other fucked up world that like is not in touch with the everyday person and their, the average life that people are living right now. People, some people messaged me about the whole BLM thing, a few people, and they said to me like, Oh, this is the, some people sent me the guy that started, and this guy was like a full on like a street activist and been had been out there. And according to him, what had happened is he started this as like a real grassroots like movement for racial justice, and then all these other people from the outside came in and took over, and then used the branding, and then like corporatized it, and you know ran him out basically, and then all these people kind of turned it into this big corporate money making right. entity, and you know have enriched themselves either on because purpose or saw, ignorance. People saw money in it, and people. Yeah. Saw as she as she used the term white guilt and all the money that was coming out of white guilt and you know the unfortunate part is we live in a world where there are people that are going to come in and try to take advantage of certain things and when they see money coming in i will tell you the nonprofit world a lot of the time is treated like a for-profit business you know where people are in it to profit and it's about how we utilize the system to profit off of those things and it's not i mean from a business standpoint, it's smart because then you keep the nonprofit going. But then from the opposite side of it, it's like, but then you're doing this to gain some sort of monetary value or tax write-off. I just did, you know, and talking about like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and, you know, right now the biggest thing is about Sutton and Lisa Rinna and the Elton John Foundation event. And I'm like, people don't even realize how events like that even work. And so I tried to even explain that on my podcast. And even some people are still, you know, so fucking stupid, they still don't want to listen because they have their own biases and i'm like then don't watch my fucking show and they're like i'm not gonna watch your show i just figured with the rinner and sutton thing that they were kind of both correct because it was a misunderstanding and you know i didn't have to understand every nitty-gritty but i just thought like they both seem to have receipts that back up their version so i was like well i think they're both correct and it was a miscommunication it was a miscommunication, but it was also like probably an intentional miscommunication because I break it down in the sense that like there was a third party, a sponsor involved, and that was IMDb, and then there was Lisa Rinna, and then there was Sutton Strack, and it seemed like they were all getting communication from the event organizers, but they were all being told a very different story. And at the end of the day, the final story made the organizers look good, but it maybe made somebody else look bad, but it made everybody happy at the end of the day where Sutton got to have her seats and she got to sit next to Lisa Rinna and Lisa Rinna got tickets at the end of the day. And then one of the sponsors got to have Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin do an interview with them and have them sit at their table. So everybody got what they wanted, but everybody was told a different story about how it happened. And I've been in positions like that where I've had donors, sponsors, and celebs all part of the same event And I've had to tell them a very different story. Not that the story was necessarily exaggerated, but you leave out certain details or you tweak certain details to make sure that everybody's happy at the end of the day and feels good at the end of the day. So I think everyone was just told a different story. And then 
but at the end of the like there was no issue like Sutton, Rinna and the sponsor all left that event feeling good and happy about the event until Sutton brought it up on live television years later and then it became an issue but nobody had a problem with that night until it came up on live television so I guess celebrity nonprofits, like a lot of it is probably like juggling donors and celebrities and just, you know, like puzzle pieces to throw a fabulous event. So many, so many puzzle pieces. Cause at the end of the day, you want to make sure the celebs are happy so that they keep coming back. And the other thing is people are like, well, Rena and Harry didn't buy tickets and they didn't donate to the charity. And people don't realize celebrities don't give to charity. They just don't like, or sometimes they do, but for the most part, they're hired in a sense, to show up at an event and to bring publicity and to do press and to walk the step and repeat and to do interviews on the step and repeat where the the charity is prominently displayed and the donors are proper or sponsors are prominently displayed. And then they sit at sponsor tables. Like it's such a transaction that like yeah. celebrities and people don't realize and people are like mad at Harry and Lisa and they're like, they didn't donate any money. I'm like, none. I'm pretty sure 90% of the celebrities in that room that night and every year at this Elton John event don't donate because their job is not to donate. Their job is to show up and schmooze the people with real money, like Sutton Strack, who has a lot of money, schmooze them, make them feel special, take selfies with them so that they're happy enough to keep writing the checks and to keep the charity funded. And everybody has a role. Because so I can say from I work in media, obviously, we get those press releases all the time from, say, X charity for the Children's Hospital sends us the press release with and we had da 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 was here, these celebrities. So when you cover these pictures, because you, you know, you're going to put this on out in the media of, you know, this celebrity looked fabulous at the event, please make sure you mention the Children's Hospital and that it was to raise money for this cause. So it does go like yeah. that. And when you say about there's you know the celebrities like the lisa rinners and the harrys and stuff are there to kind of schmooze the the people with money and it's like the person like a sutton like sorry to burst the sutton fans bubbles like she's not there just out of the goodness of her heart she's there because she wants to rub shoulders with celebrities at a fabulous dinner that's the biggest piece people don't understand these donors and these sponsors i'm pretty sure there's a five percent in their heart that's like, I'm going to help the children or whatever the case, whatever the charity is. But they're there because it's a tax write-off. They're there because there are celebrities involved. They're there to build their social status. I mean, the thing is, they're there for the perks of having somebody like Lisa Rinna, whether you consider her A-list or Z-list, whatever it is, they don't give a shit. It, you can have somebody from Jersey Shore attend the event and sit them at a sponsor's table, and the sponsor will be happy that they just have somebody of some sort of notoriety sitting with them. To them, it's all about the perks that they get from it. The number of times I've had sponsors and donors yell at me, rip me apart because the perks weren't what they were expecting or the celebrity didn't spend more than five minutes with them or whatever the case is like they, and these are people that are like, you know, I'll give 40 grand out of the kindness of my heart, but I'm mad that such and such celebrity only get, got one selfie with me and didn't take another selfie with me at the end of the night, you know, when I was shit faced and nobody wanted to be around me, you know, like there's no rationale. They're in it for the perks and they're in it for the tax write off and they're in it to boost their reputation. And that's the reality. And unfortunately Sutton Strack is not immune to that. She fits in that same world. She is very openly spoken about how much her social status means to her at the country club. So it's not, you know, I think people need to start now. I mean, I think that this, 
this whole situation with BLM is going to wake a lot of people up. And even I, there was some you exposés hope. about you Time's Up. Yeah. You hope, because I think a lot of people see that and they're just like, I'm going to turn my head the other way and I'm going to put my head in the sand like an ostrich and not pay attention to it because it's easier to not. Well, after the whole... After the BLM and the Time's Up as well, after both of those, and I could see, I mean, I felt like Time's Up and selling pussy hat merch and stuff was just sort of like a money-making thing as well. You know, by the time that they had the, they had the Stop Asian Hate and then they had the Stop Anti-Semitic Hate or whatever that one was, and I'm just like, someone's just fucking started this hashtag now to like, to brand it into a business and just like make some money. You know, like now I just, yeah. I don't really, it's hard to take a lot of them seriously because, and even the stuff that's going on with the Ukraine now, like that's obviously a really good cause. But then I see like Bono and stuff getting involved. And I'm like, I keep telling people, if you want to give to that, just be, just be like, really do your work of investigating where that money's going to. Cause, you know. And I don't think people realize how micro their impact can be. Or how macro their in- impact can be on such a micro level. Like for me, when it came to supporting the black community and it came to, you know, making sure people felt like their opportunities, you know, like it, opportunities weren't equal or they needed their voices to be amplified more because they weren't feeling heard. It's like there are so many other ways. Like you can donate $100 to the BLM Foundation or you can go out into your community and support the small black businesses. Instead of going to Starbucks, walk two extra blocks to go to the small black owned you know coffee shop where there's an actual family that's trying to put food on their table for their kids that makes so much more of an impact and a difference rather than making a big donation to a big organization where you know when you see how big the organization is becoming like people are going to want to jump in on that and capitalize off of that and that's just the unfortunate world that we live in but people don't realize the macro influence they can have just in society with the micro decisions that they make every single day. It's not about making big gestures. It's about the person that you show up and choose to be on the everyday smaller level, you know? Well, that's why people say as well, like where people get so worked up about, you know, voting for like the president. And it's like, you actually make more of a difference if you vote locally in your community yeah. and support things there, than just I'm going to cast my ballot for the Republicans or the Democrats. And what you say about the charity thing, I did a, I, at one point I raised money for a charity um, and I half did it. I wanted to give the money back. I also did it to be a troll because people kept calling me a racist because I didn't take Garcelle's side. So I just said, you guys can fucking tweet all day. Like I'm going to donate some money to like, you know, a, a black cause. And I did a lot of research and look, hopefully the charity was legit. I researched as much as I could, but I found a smaller one called buy from a black woman where they said that your money's, directly going to black female entrepreneurs to like get their businesses started and i saw the grants for it and everything and it was like a quite a small non-profit and i thought okay this is good i feel like this money's actually going to go to them as opposed to being like can you just donate to the um you know what is it well currently there's a lot of abortion fund ones that i'm getting now because of the roe versus wade thing and when those ones are like those really big organizations that are behind that i just think mm, i don't know where your money's really going with that one like you really want to look like small so you your money will have the most kind of impact well because a lot of the time when you find a lot of even some of these smaller charities they are telling you that like they're the money is being put to good use but a lot of the time some of the time the money is being put towards like funding somebody's salary yeah i know and, and that person 
is doing a good job of like going around, walking down the streets and being like, care about Ukraine, care about, a, you know, you know, pro-choice or whatever it is. And just because that person's walking down the street and saying these things, are they really making an impact? I don't know. But in their head, they've rationalized that they deserve this salary because they're doing this thing, you know, so it is hard to decipher, um, you know, and sometimes the the best thing to do isn't to donate to a nonprofit. In some cases it is. And if you know the the people running it and you feel connected to them, I think it's always better to sum- support the smaller nonprofits and the smaller community initiatives rather than the bigger ones. Cause the bigger ones, it, things tend to get lost. Um, but it's like, again, there are just other ways that you can contribute and support communities without necessarily having to do these big grand gestures. And then when you're making big grand gestures, you have to really think about that. Like, am I making this big grand gesture so that I'm a set track and I look good and I feel good and people look at me like I'm a good person or am I doing this because I genuinely care you know it's like the person that'll buy a coffee for a random stranger at the coffee shop and not need that recognition and then you have people that are like look at I just bought a coffee for this random stranger and you know here's the receipt on the internet you know it's like and I'm autistic too so and I'm please autistic give me extra- and my hair is blue and I'm non-binary and I ha- identify with 50 other things and I'm <laughs> you know, neurodivergent and I know Shailene Woodley and we're starring in the film next year. (laughs) Well, you know, with this whole Sutton thing, okay, that last episode where they did the whole guard, they were going back and forth. Can we just acknowledge that that was Harry's birthday and she came with a purse full of receipts and that also... I th- I think she realized, you know what, maybe it's not appropriate at Harry's birthday to start waving receipts, but then Garcelle was over and they'd clearly planned this before the scene going, Garcelle going, don't you have receipts? If you have receipts, you should show them. Do you have receipts, Sutton? Like, let, let me see them. And then when Sutton, she pulls she it's like pulling teeth i don't think sutton wanted to pull them out i think I don't that think was she the plan to, and she changed her see, mind you can see the reluctancy in her yeah because that's why garcelle had to keep egging her on and then garcelle like takes the receipts and puts on her glasses and looks at them as if it's the first time she's seen them it's like girl you read these in the car on the way when you were plotting how this scene was gonna go well no and- they released a, a cut scene from before that dinner with sutton and garcelle where i think they were at sutton's house and they were having a conversation and they were talking about how Harry Hamlin text Sutton, you know, before the dinner and whatever. And then Garcelle's like, I don't think I don't think Harry Hamlin really text Sutton. I think Lisa Rinna text Sutton on behalf of Harry Hamlin. And it was Rinna who really sent that text message. So there was clearly a conversation that they had beforehand because Sutton literally came with a full printout document folded up in her little purse. Like, first of all, who shows up to expose somebody at their own birthday dinner? That is very classless. <laughs> and then I couldn't, like, when Garcelle got up at the end and she was like, this is nasty, I'm out of here. I was thinking, girl, you were egging this on. And I actually felt bad for Sutton at that moment because Sutton actually looked quite shaken and had, like, watery eyes and stuff. And I was like, you've just had Sutton do all the dirty work and now you're getting up as the bigger person and walking off. And also, again, when Sutton was – and shout out to Sutton for actually holding her own with Erica for once because she didn't crumble because when they were doing their back and forth of like, fuck you, no, fuck you, I loved that. And I'm like, you know, stand up for yourself, Sutton. But like – Garcelle again defended Sutton in the confessional, but when it was happening, she sat there quietly while Sutton mm-hmm. had to go at Rinna and Erica and said nothing. But then in her confessional, she's 
like has a because, big voice because you know Sutton in her because she's Miss Manners and you know Miss Manners at the dinner table knew this was not an appropriate time to have this conversation mm-hmm. bringing up the receipts at Harry Hamlin's birthday dinner not a, like you could have called Rinna and told production let's set up a scene at a coffee shop tomorrow where I can deliver the receipts and whatever Sutton knew better Garcelle kept pushing it and egging it on and then I love how at the end of it because then you can tell Sutton had a bunch of guilt and she's like Rena, I love you. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I'm taking accountability. And I did a nasty and I did it bad and whatever. And then she's like, I love you. And then Garcelle's like, You do? <laughs> like, yes, I do. And she's like, I don't think you love her. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, Garcelle is doing the most. She's it's straight up Lisa Vanderpump, classically yeah. out of Lisa Vanderpump Listen. playbook. And I think Sutton is being used by Garcelle. Oh, One thousand <laughs> percent. Because I really think Garcelle is a lot smarter than Sutton is. And I think she understands Hollywood more and the television mm-hmm. medium and everything. Mm-hmm. And I also, I have a new theory about Sutton. Okay, so <laughs> I want to get into this Sutton's reaction to Dorit's robbery, which is insane, the lack of empathy. But I th- – and I remember when when Crystal said to Sutton last season, you're a weird, inappropriate person. I think Sutton is someone that is – and we're seeing more of it now – so socially awkward. I mean, if anyone's fucking neurodivergent, it's Sutton Strack. But, like, I think she is like an Eden Sassoon where it's like, you know what, you're just a little too weird to be a full-time housewife. I don't think we're going to – continue this relationship i think we're just going to leave you as a friend and then she lucked out with this erica jane thing that sort of fell in her lap and she didn't even really have to do that much if you look back at it she just had to ask a few questions but it made her this super fan favorite on social media and now they're kind of stuck with her as a full-timer i don't think she would have been full-time otherwise and now we're seeing more of her odd behavior like the way that she reacted to to Dorit's robbery and then doubled down on it with Kyle when Kyle tried to bring it up to her I'm like this is so strange and Garcelle knows that it's strange too because Garcelle's a smart person and I think that you know Carlos King even said that, that he doesn't really find the friendship genuine I think it's more friend more genuine from Sutton's side uh and Sutton probably likes having a, you know, because Garcelle is a celebrity and an actress. She probably, she and she, Sutton likes being around that. Yeah. But I think for Garcelle, it's just this weird girl is like, you know, she's nice, but it benefits me on the show. No, 1000%. I Listen, Garcelle is smart. And I'm not going to say that Garcelle doesn't have good moments that are thoroughly entertaining. Like when she told Sutton, like, you don't really like Lisa Brennan. Like that, I lived for that moment because I was like, it was just because it but was I wish so that honest. Garcelle would put that, would chime that in herself instead no. of why does it have to be Sutton doing it all? Like that's when I usually I don't feel no. bad for Sutton at all. But I just felt like, you know, this is a really a two man job, this Garcelle Sutton thing that you're doing. And you've, you've left Sutton holding the the bag you know like why don't you get in there yourself with the mix like why does Sutton need to do all the heavy lifting no exactly uh, but she does the heavy lifting because if it goes south then Sutton gets all of the score yeah and Garcelle doesn't <laughs> Garcelle's very smart you know um listen and I think even the moment between Sutton and Erica where she's like I don't like you go fuck yourself shut up no you shut up lived for that moment like it was such a great yep. scene um 
but there are all these other nuances that I don't think people pick up on because they're so blinded by being team Sutton or team Garcelle or whatever they are anti team mean girls or whatever the fuck they think they want to identify with, you know, whatever neurodivergent feeling they're yeah, having in that moment. They're worse than the Gen Z TikTokers. Um, are yeah. you, are you liking Erica's attitude? Cause I obviously fucking love it. I'm obsessed. Listen, I just love her. She is embracing the villain character. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Listen, at least she's staying true to character and she's going all in and she's doubling down and she's owning it. And I'm like, you know what? At least it's making things interesting. I hope people can appreciate how good that is. And by the way, Sutton is very good on the show. So I criticize her a lot, but her awkwardness and stuff, I'm, I'm, it's great. It's very Ramona Singer. Like it's yeah. great. So yeah. I will acknowledge Sutton's, you know, bringing it this season. I enjoy watching her even where I'm like, how? Okay. I get mixed up because people say they hate Erica because Erica doesn't show empathy, but Sutton is showing. Sutton is showing zero empathy, such, uh, such a lack of empathy that I'm like, are you like, you, is something wrong up there? Like, is something wrong upstairs? But I guess we, people love that. But um, I hope people can acknowledge that Erica is making the show with this decision to embrace the villain because it's not like Jen Shah who played the victim and was fake crying and doing charity scenes and stuff on camera. It's like, this makes the show so much better that Erica leaned into that. Cause Erica really could have been like, I'm going to do a PR job and be the sweetest person ever. And so fake. And she's like, fuck that. Like, fuck all of you. Like I'm going in, it's making the show. But here's the other thing too, that is the craziest part to me is she's done multiple interviews recently promoting the show where they ask her about all of this stuff and they ask her about the victims and whatever. And she's just like, listen, I, and she, when you listen to her, seems very honest and sincere and being like, look, I don't think that it's right that they were taken advantage of, but also these are accusations and these accusations need to be proven in court. And unfortunately I'm in a position where I have civil lawsuits that keep coming up against me. So there are certain things that I can and cannot say, but I have pushed the boundary beyond my lawyer's, you know, wanting me to, I've pushed the boundary to say things that I probably shouldn't be talking about, but I want the victims they are the alleged victims. I want them. And listen, alleged is a loosely used term because some people have been able to prove their case, like the Rui Gomez family and others have yet to prove their actual cases. However, like there's things that need to, you know, legalities that need to continue to unfold before we really get into all of that. But she's like, I want the people that were done wrong to get paid. And I believe that in the end, they will get the money that they're deserved. We're just a long time from getting to that end post. But she's just like, guys, there are men that worked at this law firm that knew what was happening. And you're getting mad at me. She's like, they knew they worked there. They had access to the bank accounts. They had access to the bookkeeper. They worked on these cases. They knew what commission they were taking home and paying for their lavish lifestyles with. Because people only like to think that Tom Girardi was the only lawyer working there benefiting from this. There were multiple lawyers that worked on those cases. Tom was really just the figurehead. And you and I went through all this last, we went through all this ages ago. And then, you know, everything that you said when we did that episode, we really did a big episode get, because I was like, you need to come on here and explain it all because you know all the legal stuff. Because I know how I'm seeing it and I, you know, wanted you to go through it. 
and like everything that you said on that is like come true and has like been the case yeah. you know <laughs> like everything continue it's consistently continued to check out um and yeah like here's the thing the the cases are far from being over but there are moments where she really does acknowledge the victims and she really does acknowledge wanting them to be done right but people will ignore that and they're like nope I ignore that because the edit that she gets on the show doesn't necessarily corroborate that. Cause then you look at the edit that she gets on the show and it's her snapping at the producers for asking about, you know, has it been proven that you're innocent in all of this? And like, technically, yes, it has been proven, but then with Garcelle where she's like, well, I haven't seen it in any of the headlines. And it's like, well, of course you haven't seen it in any of the headlines because the headlines, the headlines are made to sensation. Sorry. Hang on. Chunky, shut up. Stop it. Hang on. <laughs> Guys, I'm back. I had to, my dog was bar. I knew that was going to happen. I have a chunky. Stop it! I ordered a t-shirt that was uh, recommend. Oh, can, can you guys hear chunky? Nasty. Chunky, stop it! I ordered a t-shirt and they ring the fucking doorbell here at my parents' place, which is the most obnoxious. Stop it! Obnoxious doorbell I've ever heard. But um, yeah, everything that Zach said has checked out as correct. And I even said this the other week when um when Erica snapped at the producers and was like, look it up yourself. I'm like, of course she because people will not stop hounding her and asking her the same fucking question. And she's like, Do your due diligence or look it up yourself? Like I can't just sit here explaining it to you every day, especially when even when she tries to explain it and all, all the truth is out there, like people, they just won't look at it. They refuse to look at it. And like, she will be vindicated in the end, um, uh, which yeah, I believe. And I, think, and I think she knows that. And that's yeah. why she's just like, look, if I have to be the villain right now, if I have to take the heat right now, I know eventually when the dust settles, people will realize my actual role in all of this. And like, it, like it'll all be okay in the end, but she knows she just has to go through this, you know, motion right now. But it's also just like, why isn't Sutton talking about the other lawyer, the other white men? Cause you know, we love to tear, you know, we love toxic yeah. masculinity and all that shit. So like, why don't we go after these people that actually committed these alleged crimes that actually were complicit in all of this? Well, that's why that's one reason I really I get pissed off with Sutton because Sutton made a big point of how she can read the LA Times article and she knows what's up. So it's like, you actually know the truth about what's going on and you're being willfully ignorant because it works for you to have the Twitter narrative against Erica that you're yeah, playing into. Because if you actually read the LA Times article, the LA Times article proved that Erica didn't have any complicity. Yeah. Like she wasn't. And Garcelle knows too, by the way. Garcelle knows too, but then Garcelle is in her confessional going, mm, it's like, the, the, they're playing such a game here and it's like, you know, at the end the truth will come out and people will see how full of shit they are, but it will just like, it will and take a while. And then Garcelle will be like, we didn't know. We were genuinely just watching it unfold as it happened. And, <laughs> you know, um, there, can we play that whole card. Can we talk about Crystal? Because it's like, you know, I'm a Crystal I'm fan. I'm so disappointed in her. I'll she, say that. Is she, on, is she on the show this season? Like, she and it's so strange because you look at her instagram i don't know if you follow her on instagram and every day on her instagram she's out like partying at different events and like having fun and she's like twerking the rap music and stuff and then on beverly hills like she looks so bored like that that fight about that Elton John dinner, like there were memes about it she was just like this is so lame like get me out of here it's like you know i appreciate a normal a normal housewife that's kind of above it. Like, don't get me wrong, but you've 
you've kind of you need to like want to be a housewife like even the normal ones like a Kyle or like even Eileen they know how to kind of chime in and go hang on like you know what I mean to insert themselves even Kyle without having to insert herself gives us facial reactions that still make her involved and interesting you know she does like (gasps) yeah what I know like she also because they're all actresses so it's like yeah I think because Crystal doesn't have that actress thing to her. She's like, I'm not going to sit yes here and, and no. put a face. Yes and no. Yes and no. And I loved Crystal last season because I feel like Crystal had more of a voice last season. This season, and I think it's because she's developed this elite, this alliance with Sutton and Garcelle because ever since they did their LA Times piece, she's been more, I'm friends with Sutton and Garcelle. But she said that was Bravo. I think she might have said it on my podcast. She said it somewhere that Bravo put that together because my whole theory has been that Look, Sutton, no one likes Sutton and Garcelle on the cast. I think we can tell that. And they tolerate them because they have to. And they know that they're the popular ones. And I think that, I think Crystal's friends with everybody. And I feel like production sets up a lot of, and I don't know this for a fact, but I just am like, because production can choose, okay, we want to, we want so-and-so to come over to your house to talk about, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, and I feel like the producers really want to put, crystal on that team because they need to strengthen that team or otherwise it's the whole cast against like Satnagar cell so i kind of feel like that's i don't think that's a real thing but i think that they're i don't think it's a real thing i don't think it's a real thing either but i think crystal is leaning into it because you see her now outside of the show going to events with Sutton and Garcelle and Kathy and she's playing into that. And I think she's playing into that because she probably thinks that that's the smart strategy to, you know, stay relevant on the show or whatever the case may be. Um, And to me, it's like, it's losing the crystal that we got originally. Like last season, I feel like she had so much more confidence and conviction in herself. Whereas and the now, snarky think- comments she would make were so good. Yeah. when she like, And I'm like, I want that, the bitchy crystal. And now she's just like, I don't think she even wants to be there. Like she seems like she just doesn't. I don't think she even enjoys it that much. She seems to not... Yeah, I don't know, because I just feel like other housewives, they want to be there where they will find a way to, like, put themselves into the scene. And she seems to be a bit like, I don't really, I don't really want to deal with this drama. I don't think she needs it, is what it is. Like, her life is so good and so full and so wealthy without the show that she doesn't need it. But I just, I don't love that she, it feels like she's leaning into this other narrative that I don't think is genuine to her, um... Whereas before she would call Sutton out because she didn't like Sutton. And I don't think Sutton has changed from last season. If anything, Sutton is more herself this season than she was last season. And it's like even more unpalatable that it's like, you know, but Crystal also knows I can't go in on Sutton because Sutton is a fan favorite and Sutton is, you know. Yeah, well, I saw a a preview scene on Twitter just earlier where the women, Kyle tells the women about um, Sutton's reaction and then Crystal didn't chime in. Then I'm thinking, girl, like... I mean, maybe, but we we saw the preview for next week too, though, and then Crystal was, like, fighting with someone. So I'm like, okay, well, I need that. Like, whatever this fight is, I think she fights with Garcelle. I think they said it in an interview. So I'm like, I need that. Like, yeah. which, so I need to see what happens with that. But, look, I really I think, think there are so many strong personalities on the cast that it's yeah. easy for someone like Crystal that doesn't need the show to easily kind of just fall into the background. 
Yeah, well, especially right now, it's a really, it's a really, really strong cast. I think that, yeah, they're all really big personalities. I think that um, after this season, I think producers need to kind of talk to Crystal and be like, girl, we love what you bring to the show, but you need to, like, want to be here. Like, you need to want to be here. You need to either, you've got to insert yourself more, and if you think that it's not for you, like it's time to step away or if you like really want this, like you've kind of got to bring it a little more and voice whatever's on your mind. And I think also think the producers need to put her, they need to do their job as producers and I think they need to put her in positions where she'll be uncomfortable to bring out the side that we saw last season. Yeah, to react in a way that's a little more genuine. But like Diana Jenkins, fucking love her. Like she has come in so good so strong and i just like and well, she wants hear, it she wants to be on the housewives of Beverly she Hills. wants it and that's and why she's what I talking hear, about all that well she only gets better from what i've heard she only gets better and from what i've heard crystal only gets worse and yeah. only like crystal has moments this season but i think ultimately she'll be overshadowed by so many of the other pieces Oh, I, I want like, well, you know, because I love Crystal and last she was season, my fave was, last season. Yeah, and I was like, because I'm a was a big Eileen fan. So and I really liked I, what Eileen brought because Eileen, I think, was just she saw through all the bullshit and she wasn't messy. But like when she got into it with someone like I felt like she was always like 150 percent right. And she was good at standing up for herself and she would just clear people with. And I think that's like what Crystal did last year when she said about Sutton, like you're a fucking weird, inappropriate person and her takes on people. Then I'm just like, I want your real takes on these women, you know, like, I don't want you like bored. Like she, Crystal was even joking on Instagram and people were sharing this around, uh, I, I think she said that, like, because people were memeing her bored reaction during the Ellen John thing, and she made some comment like, oh, I was thinking about, like, playing Scrabble or something like that. And, like, I actually, I really think she was. Like, I, <laughs> I don't think that was a joke, a Twitter, like, a joke for Instagram. Like, I think she actually was. Like, I just don't think she's yeah she's that into it. But it is a really, really good cast. Um and I think the show's on fire right now. And I think that this season's been amazing. Oh, one last one last Beverly Hills take. Um, what is your take on all the people talking about did Dorit fake her robbery, et cetera? Because, look, my thing with this has just been uh, I've kind of stayed out of it because I'm like, I just don't want to go down the conspiracy theory hole of did she fake a robbery? Like, you have no proof. Like, people are bringing up things and going, well, this looks strange, but I'm like – you can kind of do that with anything. And I'm like, look, if something comes out where it's like a big thing, where it's like, I don't know, something juicy, really juicy comes out, I'll like examine it then. But right at this point, I've just sort of chose to believe her and go along with it. Listen, I think nobody would ever stage a fake robbery with their kids home. Nobody in their right mind, I think, would ever do it. Like, here's the thing. If it were just her alone, or the other thing is they could have done it the night before, before her and the kids arrived back in the States when they were all out of town. There were other opportunities to be able to do this that wouldn't impact the kids. Because, like, worst case scenario, the kids could have very easily woken up and walked in on the scene that was unfolding. And I don't think they would ever put their children in that type of position to have to experience or witness something like that. Um, I believe 
believed that the robbery was real. I know a lot of people have a lot of different like worries or speculation or whatever, but you also have to remember when something like that happens, you know, like a big traumatic life event, like things aren't very cut and dry. It's not a cookie cutter. This is the perfect way to get robbed. There are going to be little messy things because you also have to realize robbers, even though they are not great people, they're also still human. So when you see people and they're like, well, why did they leave her phone? That doesn't make sense. And her phone was flashing. And that only happens when you call 911. It could be that like, yeah, I'm sure one of the robbers didn't realize her and her kids were going to be home and had some level of empathy and was like, fuck, this woman is a mom and her kids are in the next room. Let me call 911 and leave her phone here and pray that we didn't get caught on camera to where our faces were shown. And we had masks on or we had hoodies on or whatever. Like, you know, there are so many factors that go into it. Um, I don't know. I just, I hate that sometimes we take the humanity out of these things and be like, listen. And when you see these moments where you see her in, you know, that scene where she's outside of Kyle's house before she gets into the car and PK is like, I forgot my phone. Let me go get my phone. And he walks inside and she's sitting out there and you can just tell in that moment, she's not aware that the cameras are on her and she's just kind of repeatedly telling herself, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I'm She's safe. not that good I'm of safe. an actress. Like she's, she's not, not an actress. Winner, you know. She's not an actress. Even Kyle or people are like she's an actress. She's not a good actress either. She, you know, that's why she only did like one or two lifetime movies in her life. The emotion is very raw and very real. You know, I remember being in a position like that where you're like in this weird fucked up place of like where you're just trying to talk yourself off and be like, I'm safe. I'm safe. It's okay. It's okay. And I guess because I've been in a in a position like that and I've had to, you know talk myself off of that ledge i identified with that scene where i'm like that is real um, that is not rehearsed there's no you can't fake that and that's not something that you know you plan for a camera that's a real moment of you being detached from the reality of your current situation and you just being in trauma protection mode of being like trying to tell yourself and remind yourself that you're okay in that moment you know yeah and then other people other people are saying well i think it was staged but dorit didn't know about it and again i'm just like look no. I don't know. I'm just not going down that road. I'm just choosing to believe whatever they Who say about it, really. It. The, only, the only two people that could have staged it would have been Dorit or PK, and I don't think either of them would have subjected their children to have to experience something like that yep. because it just would have been so traumatizing had the kids actually witnessed anything. I know, and it's a bit of a... um. I think that it kind of speaks on the toxicity of the the Beverly Hills fans of how when they don't like someone, the the really cruel and like just gross ways they come after you. And look at Dorit now, though. Like, look at her and watch what happens live. Like, she's just not yeah. there anymore. She's she, so I, I that, Yeah, she's so like just vacant behind the eyes now that like even when they were like trying to do a shot ski with Andy and he's like we need to keep it fun and lighthearted because it's a late fun night lighthearted show like you can just see she's not all there anymore you know yeah, it, it came back up for her like so you Having could relive it all yeah, yeah and brought it back um okay i think you know we've said it all uh thank you so much for coming back i love it this was such a good episode tell everyone where they can find you where they can buy your wine and support you and subscribe to your only fans and all of that <laughs> um yes adam and i are starting an only soon stay tuned guys spilling tea live 
after dark. Um, no, you can give, you can give me a follow if you're interested in me personally. You can follow me at Just Plain Zach. If you just want all of the latest reality TVT, you can follow the show at No Filter with Zach. The podcast is called Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. We release episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They're available on all podcast platforms and on our YouTube channel. So if you don't want to just listen, you want to watch my cute face. This is a face by Dr. Jen. Botox and filler are all done by Dr. Jen. So if you want to check that out, oh. um, you can check out, yeah, Dr. Jen Armstrong from OC. Um, and my wine, which is a Housewives-inspired wine line, it is a fizzy rosé and a fizzy white wine with cans inspired by Real Houses of Atlanta, Beverly Hills, Salt Lake City, and New Jersey. Today, I have out Cut Down My Drinking or What? Or What? Inspired by the Erica Jane and all four are available at nofilterwine.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming back, guys. Check out his show. It's one of the best Housewives podcasts for sure. And if you want more like breaking down of the Sutton and and Rinna Elton John Gate, that is all there. He has the best coverage on the Erica Jane stuff. He's been right about everything. So if you go back and you listen to our episodes together, honey, Zach is right about all the Erica stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry. The haters are just going to have to deal with it. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm fearless, huh? What you looking at? 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 What you looking at?